If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello and welcome to the Pregnancy Wellness Podcast, hosted by me, Pip, a practicing midwife who is on a mission to provide you with real evidence-based information about pregnancy, birth and the postpartum. Each episode, I'll be joined by special guests and leading experts to equip you with all the information you need for an empowered journey from conception right through to motherhood. So, with no further ado, Let's make a cuppa and get started with today's episode. So sadly, the death of a baby is not a rare tragedy. And every day in the UK, around 14 babies will die before, during or soon after birth. This means that nearly every two hours, a family is faced with the devastation of the death of their baby. There are arguably few experiences that can compare to the trauma of losing a baby. And it's imperative that we break the silence on this issue, that we give bereaved families a voice and banish any taboo or stigma associated with losing a baby. I am honored today to be joined by Josephine, mum to Oliver, who was born sleeping in January this year. Josephine was faced with saying both hello and goodbye to Oliver all in one day. She is an amazingly strong woman who wants to use her experience to help others. Ever since her tragic loss, Josephine has been passionate about raising awareness around stillbirth and sharing her journey navigating the world after losing baby Oliver through both blogs and social media. I am so grateful that she's joining me on this episode to share her story and to help lift the lid on infant loss. Please note that this is a very emotive subject that may trigger stress or trauma. And I would advise listening to this episode in a safe space with support available. If you are affected by any of today's episode and feel you need support, there are three fantastic charities linked in the description below. Sands, Tommy's and Aching Arms. So hi, Josephine. And thank you so much for joining me and really being so brave and courageous in sharing your story with with infant loss and with baby Oliver. Thank you. So can you kind of just just talk through kind of your experience and and Oliver's story with you? 
Yeah, not a problem. So um, my pregnancy was quite straightforward other than some quite bad morning sickness, which at the time was quite unwelcome, but I'd probably do anything to have it again now. Yeah. Um, I was in hospital a few times with it, um, but we only told a few really close family and friends that we were expecting um, to begin with. Um, at 12 weeks, our scan was absolutely perfect. So we excitedly sort of revealed the news on social media to everyone. Um, it sort of, as it approached our 20 week scan, I remember sort of saying to George, I was a little bit nervous because it was the one where everything was checked and would it be all, all okay? But um, we both kind of agreed that the 12 week scan was fine. So surely the 20 week scan would be fine as well. Um, but sadly, this wasn't the case. The sonographer at the 20 week scan sort of checked everything and to begin with everything seemed fine and then she moved on to Oliver's heart. Um, and unfortunately she couldn't see part of his heart that she was looking for. Um, she sort of reassured us that she thought it was just that he was in a difficult position, um, being a bit awkward with his spine the wrong way. Um, but just to be sure and not waste time, she referred us to the local fetal medicine unit so that there wasn't a delay if there was a problem. I think in retrospect, this should probably have rung alarm bells with us, but we were quite naive and sort of trusted what she said and that he was lying awkwardly. Um, so when it came to our fetal medicine scan, we actually weren't too worried about it. I was a little bit nervous because it was our baby and hopefully there wasn't anything wrong, but um, not too bad. So we went to the scan and he was still laying awkwardly, so they still couldn't see part of his heart. So they asked us to go back again. Um, and unfortunately, when we went for the next scan, they still couldn't see what they were looking for. So it was at this point that the consultant sort of raised that maybe there'd be an issue, but hopefully he was still laying awkwardly. Um, but just to be sure, she referred us to Birmingham Women's and Children's because um, they look at this sort of thing all day, I guess. Um, and again, we were told hopefully he was just lying funny and that more experienced eyes would be able to see what they were looking for. Um, and again, very naively, after a few initial tears, we, re we were reassured that it would all be okay. Um, this was all happening over Christmas, so reassured by what the consultant said. We excitedly finished wrapping our presents and got excited about the fact that Oliver would be here next year and celebrated with everyone and ate far too much like everyone does at Christmas. Um, we even moved house on the 30th. Um, and then New Year's Eve arrived, which was the date of our scan at Birmingham Women's. And I think this was the moment that our lives turned upside down. So I remember the scan feeling like it was taking ages. Um, and after what I think was probably only about 45 minutes, um, we were asked to go and sit in a room and told that the doctors would be through shortly. Um, in all honesty, that was the longest wait I've ever had. Um, but I remember sitting next to George on the sofa in the room and saying that there had to be something wrong because surely otherwise they'd have just said it's fine and sent us on our way. Naturally, George tried to reassure me that everything was going to be okay and they probably just wanted to tell us that. Um, but I'll never forget their expressions when they came back into the room of sympathy on all of their faces and that's when our world stopped when they leant towards us and said with a sort of empathetic expression we're so sorry but we found a problem with your baby's heart and my world just stopped then. Um, initially the discussions were quite positive 
um, the medical team was pretty sure that they'd be able to fix it and it wasn't too serious. They said that he'd need operations when he was born and some time in NICU, but other than that, we should be able to bring him home and he would need another operation as a toddler, but then he'd be okay. So we were quite reassured by that um, and we were told that they'd like us just to return for a second opinion and a growth scan, um, but because it was over New Year, we had to sort of wait until after the bank holiday, um, which I think was sort of over a week away in the end. But somehow we managed to throw ourselves into that week. Um, we enjoyed New Year and we actually went and brought all the stuff we needed for Oliver to put in his room, which I think in hindsight probably wasn't the best thing to do. But we did. I guess that gave you a way of, of coping and hanging on to that really important absolutely. hope at the time, didn't it? Because that week must have felt like a whole year on yeah, its own. absolutely. I remember both of us saying, like, let's just throw ourselves into this and we'll give him the best life we can and he can have everything he wants and needs. So, yeah, that's why we did it. But um, And then on Monday, the 6th of January, um, we went back for our scan. Um, so the first one was a growth scan and we were told he was doing amazingly, like no other signs of illness or anything. So we both went and stuffed our faces in Costa Brilliant. <laughs> and, and felt very optimistic about the echo on his heart because they were just checking that they'd got the right diagnosis and surely if he was growing okay, it couldn't be anything too bad. Um, so again, we sat and lay in the same room, watching the same screen and watching Oliver wriggling away. And again, we were asked to go and sit in a room and told the doctors would be in shortly. This didn't worry me too much this time because we'd already been there, done it. And we were told that they'd discuss a plan. So we were expecting it. And again, the medical team came in with sympathetic looks on their faces, leant towards us and told us that unfortunately, further scans had shown that our little boy was poorer than we first thought. And again, just like that, our worlds were shattered. We were told that he was very poorly and was unlikely that he would make it to birth. And if he did, that he'd need operations right at the edge of what the most sophisticated surgeons could do, each of them carrying extremely high risks. And we were told that he may not even make it to full term. We spent a long time just sat in that room talking to the medical staff with our own thoughts as well. And I didn't know what to do but to cry. How is this fair? Why us? I have no idea how we made it back to the car, but somehow we did. And we spent the journey home, a mixture of crying and sat in silence in disbelief. The next day we began the task of telling our closest family and friends that our precious little boy Oliver wouldn't make it. We were both totally blown away by the outpourings of kindness from people. I stopped work and began returning to leave that day and George took some time off work too. I've no idea how we even got through the next few weeks other than we tried to keep ourselves busy. On the 24th of January 2020, our precious little boy Oliver passed away. We then came home for 48 hours and began the impossible task of preparing to give birth to him. On the 26th of January, we went into hospital to be induced. I remember on repeat just saying, this isn't fair. Every time a midwife spoke to me, I burst into tears. This just wasn't fair. 
I clung on so hard to George and the midwife as they began my induction and burst into tears. They told us it would probably only take a few hours to get me into labour and at the beginning everything seemed to go to plan. The contractions started and by the next morning I was transferred to the labour ward for stronger pain relief. But that's where the going to plan stopped. In total, I spent nearly six emotionally and physically exhausting days in labour. Neither of us really slept, and I remember on night four asking for the midwife, and then when she arrived, just bursting into tears, because I felt so underprepared for this. It was not the birth I had planned, and I felt totally out of control. And every single one of our midwives were absolutely incredible. On the 31st of January 2020, at five to three in the morning, our little Oliver Anthony Moxham was born silently. We spent the next few hours cuddling our precious little boy until everyone eventually managed to persuade me that I needed some sleep after such a long labour. So with little Oliver in the cot next to me and George's bed pulled up next to mine, the physical exhaustion took over and somehow, I've no idea how, I fell asleep. The next day, we made lots of memories with Oliver using our memory box from the Lily May Foundation, including doing his hand and footprints, and we were moved into a family room for some space and quiet away from the labour ward. Coming home without Oliver was nothing short of horrific. I remember just sitting on the floor in Oliver's room, unable to move, because having watched everyone else carry their babies out of hospital, I didn't have mine and it was nothing short of awful. The next days and weeks were tough, but slowly got a little bit easier as time went on. And then in July, after suffering a miscarriage with our rainbow baby, I was diagnosed with postpartum depression, which in itself has been a steep learning curve for both myself and George, but he's been totally amazing at supporting me. Having lost little Oliver, I felt so scared about entering the world outside that had carried on while ours had stopped, and that's when I decided to start my Instagram. I was keen the conversation around baby loss needed to be started, because as horrible as the conversation is, and as many people would, as would like to ignore it, I really feel that it's something that needs talking about because tragically, as you said earlier, one in four pregnancies do end in loss and those families need to know that they are not alone and that the support out there is for them and for them for the beginning. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, Josephine. The the journey that you have been on, as you have just explained so beautifully and emotively, is absolutely tragic but the way in which you and George have managed to shape Oliver's memory and create this drive and this passion that I know you've got to try and raise awareness is just amazing when you're going through this awful grief process yourself and then dealing with postnatal depression diagnosis which given what you've been through I mean is not surprising at all so I'm so pleased that you're now kind of accessing the support um, that you need which will really help with that whole process so thank you so much for sharing that story because I know I know how you've written it down lots and you've 
you've kind of spoken about parts of your story, but speaking through the whole journey that you've been through is is sometimes just the most challenging thing. So thank you so much for being so brave because I know there'll be women that listen back to your story and think, yeah, I remember that feeling. I remember sitting in the room with that doctor. So for them to know that actually they're not alone is just so powerful. It's just brilliant. So thank you. So looking at, I guess, the, the grief journey that you've been on is huge. And you were kind of grieving for what you thought Oliver's life was going to be initially. And then for that changing diagnosis and then obviously him passing away. How have you kind of coped with that? Have you had any kind of, I know you've got George's amazing support and kind of your, your parents and things, but has there been any kind of things that have really helped you to cope with your, with your grief? Um, I'm not really sure how I coped. I think if I'm perfectly honest, I would say at the beginning, I didn't cope. Um, I think it was a case of taking a day at a time and just going with the emotions that that day brung. Um, I remember getting home from hospital at about midnight um, the day after Oliver was born and just sitting on the floor and messaging one of my closest friends who's a bereavement midwife. And I just said that I felt broken because I didn't know how else to describe it. I didn't know how to move and I couldn't even work out how to get in the shower after six days in labour and I couldn't stop crying. All I wanted was Oliver but that was the one thing that I couldn't have and that night I found the thought of falling asleep without Oliver just impossible and so we actually both snuggled down into bed and watched numerous episodes of Location, Location, Location all night with patches of sleep um, when it was, wasn't possible to keep my eyes open anymore. Um, I think I'd probably say the first few days were impossible, but somehow I did it. Um, I cried almost any time someone asked me something. I think I even cried when George asked me what I wanted for dinner one night. Um, I remember going back to the hospital a couple of days after having Oliver to register his birth and to see our amazing bereavement midwife Steph who has been amazing and neither of us could have got through it without her Um, and I think it was then that it really hit us that not only was there the grief to deal with but there were the physical things that we had to do like we had to arrange his funeral and we had to register his birth Um, and I think dealing with that was almost the hardest bit because until that it was just us that we had to look after but then suddenly there was something else to think about there's so many practicalities involved isn't there with with the loss of a baby that you don't that don't even kind of come into your thought process until you're faced with them no and and that's definitely a really good point because I think that's something that maybe people aren't aware of is the fact that you you yourself so your body has gone through a six-day labor and childbirth which in itself is a massive massive thing to your body but to have done all of that and to then obviously leave hospital without baby Oliver and to then have the emotional turmoil on top of it is just such a a huge kind of battering to your body isn't it to go through it's it's massive yeah yeah I remember in the early days when the community midwives came around I'd just end up crying as soon as they asked how I was I'm lucky that we had, um, like, after a few days, we got a consistent community midwife, so she visited us the whole time after her first visit. But I remember that um, another midwife had arranged for someone else to phone us just to check in that we were okay. And then she started the call with, how is your baby? 
and she was mortified that she hadn't realized what had happened but it just completely broke me and I literally couldn't say anything else on the phone because I didn't have my baby yeah and that's where continuity and communication is so so key because that event in itself can be hugely traumatic um, to you as you said because the last thing you want to do is have to keep repeating your story to a stranger it's it's hard enough saying it once so actually for people to have communicated that already is so important and I really like to think Josephine that in the maternity services we've got things in place now that would prevent that Mm. happening but I suppose there's always going to be that really unforgivable and unfortunate circumstance yeah. where these things go amiss, but that d- doesn't excuse it. Um, because no. say that's that's a, mass- a massive thing to, to you mm-hmm. to receive. Yeah, but she, she was mortified, bless her, and I almost felt bad for her because I didn't want her to feel bad that she'd made the mistake. Yeah, yeah, sure, it's, it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? But that's where that, that continuity is is so so yeah. so key isn't yeah. it and then yeah. I suppose so you had the kind of support of your families and yeah. and friends and then your bereavement yeah. midwife which yeah. I suppose was completely invaluable because you you really need that don't you when you're going through this sort of thing and you're so physically exhausted as, as you were absolutely. yeah absolutely I think we were both just completely blown away with the support we received from people from the moment we told them that Oliver wouldn't be coming home um, we were just flooded with people offering us condolences and wanting to help. Our house was full of flowers and sympathy cards. I remember one person that particularly stands out in my mind was we'd just moved house and um, we had to tell our estate agent because she knew we were expecting and it couldn't really be avoided. Um, and a few days later, we just got an email about her from her about nothing else, just checking up that we were okay because she'd been thinking about us. And I think that really struck me because we'd known her a month, but she cared enough to check that we were okay. That's really lovely, isn't it? Because yeah. you think, yeah, someone who, who doesn't know you. But I guess when we look at how common um, pregnancy and infant loss is, yeah. it's so likely that all these sort of people that perhaps you're not super close to have been affected yeah. in some way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's why we've got to start talking about it because there's probably actually such a ample amount of support and women with shared experiences out there. But if we don't talk about it, then we don't know and we can't access it. Definitely. I found myself sat in a traffic jam one day a few weeks ago and I just sat there thinking, I bet I'm not the only person in this traffic jam that's just lost a baby. Like it could be the car next to me or it could be four cars back, but I bet there's someone else. Yeah, that's so, so true. And and you're right when you look at the statistics around it, like you're absolutely right for sure. And so I wonder when we, I guess when we think about grief and I know that your your partner's called George and everyone deals with grief in such a different way and there's such a kind of spectrum isn't there and I know we spoke about some of the emotions so obviously the sadness and the tragedy but what I think is really interesting is that anger almost in terms of why well why us we haven't done anything wrong why has this happened to me and I think that's a really human thing to do and it's kind of part of that natural grief process but it can sometimes I guess um, if if one one party in the relationship's going through one stage of grief and another's going through the other, it can yeah. cause some real challenges, can't it? Yeah, I, I know that both myself and George have obviously dealt with it completely differently. 
And to me, Georgia's just had it so together. And I've been sat there wondering, well, why am I the one falling apart on the on the floor, like unable to gather myself together to stand up? But I think a lot of people have told me that men and women both grieve so differently. And I think for George, he's very much someone that likes the practical side of things, things that can be practically helped. So I know that all the sort of logistical arrangements with Oliver's funeral and things like that, I know that helped him and helped him to sort of begin his grieving process. But at the same time, I think I worry that there's a stigma attached that the men have to be strong for the women and that they're not allowed to be upset. Um, and I think it's something that's really important to speak about and just as important as the women, because I think if anything, the men possibly feel less, more alone in it, maybe, and less supported. I completely agree, Josephine. I think this, there's, there's a stigma around pregnancy loss, for sure. And then the stigma around men is even more massive, I think, arguably. Yeah. Because like you say, it's, it's, and I think for some men as well, they feel like, well, it's, it's not my body that's gone through that. So mm. how can I feel sad when, when yeah. like, I'm trying to, I need to support my partner, but yeah. recognising that, Oliver was both of your children and you you'd both planned these memories for his life together you know you planned that to do these things as a family with him so the the trauma and the and the potential kind of mental health problems and grief for dad is equally as important for mums but you raise such a good point because we definitely don't discuss that anywhere near as much as we should we're probably only just starting to scratch the surface and when do have a tendency not not all men I don't want to generalize but sometimes a bit of a tendency to internalize these things definitely. and that can be really damaging in the long run as well can't it yeah definitely has your kind of bereavement team and bereavement midwives have you had your meetings kind of together so that George has been involved in those um so we've had we had like the first few appointments together with Steph our bereavement midwife um but it's had to be on the phone recently because of everything going on. That's a bit more difficult to sort of do stuff together. But I've, I've been really keen to encourage George that they're there for him as much as they are for me and that they want to hear from him as much as they want to hear from me. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think what you're doing in terms of trying to get, get George really involved is so important and mm-hmm. um, because it's a it's a massive journey for for you both together as a family but yeah. it's difficult isn't it it's so difficult especially like you say when you when people grieve in such dynamic mm. ways there's kind of yeah. no one size fits all support for no. for anybody yeah definitely and I suppose with your kind of friends and family Josephine has anything kind of change have there been any relationships that have perhaps come closer or more distant and I suppose you've probably had to to cope with maybe other friends and family going through pregnancies which Mm. is a massive challenge yeah Yeah, so um I think when we were expecting Oliver some of our closest friends were expecting a baby in February and then in March as well and then Oliver was due in April um and I remember just I remember being gripped with fear for them and terrified that they would lose their little ones as well. Um, Because I think when you're thrown into the world of baby loss, you're just acutely aware of what can go wrong. So I remember feeling a huge, huge sense of relief when they all had their babies and they were okay. But I think one thing that really struck me was something I found 
more difficult than the actual birth of the baby was knowing that they were about to have their baby because I never got that bit. And in a way, it was easier and a relief once they'd had their baby and it felt that I could cope with that a bit better. But I think, I don't know, lots of everyone on Facebook at the moment seems to be having a baby and seems to be announcing having a baby. And I think as time's gone on, those announcements have got harder because as time's gone on, we've still not got our baby and our rainbow still isn't on the way. So I guess that is difficult to see those, but we're really lucky in that the friends that have had babies have all said that if we want to be involved, then they'd like us to be really involved with their babies. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, isn't it? Because that's a complete human emotion, especially when they're yeah. your friends and that's what you had planned and that was taken yeah. away from you through absolutely no fault of your own. Yeah. So you kind of can't help but in your head think, well, why why would that happen to me? Why are their babies okay? And as much as you are completely happy that your friends are getting on and having babies and pregnancies, and of course you're completely delighted for them, I think it's only natural that you have that kind of hint of, well, why is that not my situation? And and I don't want to use the term jealousy because I don't mean that in a negative way, but I think it's a human comparison, isn't it? Yeah, I, I found myself almost feeling angry that I feel jealous because it's not it's not so much jealous as in an anger jealous, but it's it's that should have been me and it really nearly was. Yeah, and it's it's not having those those answers. Like you yeah. you obviously understand that Oliver passed away because of this condition that he had. Yeah. But there's no answer as to why why was it Oliver that had that condition, and that's yeah. just so hard, isn't it, to yeah. to kind of comprehend? And so I totally understand it's a it's a non a non malicious jealousy, but you you can't yeah. help but feel that comparison, and and that's just human, isn't it? And I know from from speaking to you before, you're like one of the most compassionate people, so that oh, would be a a, re- a really a sort of non typical emotion for you to absolutely. feel, which kind of exacerbates that anger and confusion, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So tell us more, Josephine, about your amazing blogs and your social media accounts. I know you're on Instagram and the mission behind these really is just to raise awareness and celebrate Oliver's memory so that you can try and kind of turn turn everything that's happened to you into a, a kind of positive momentum, I suppose. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah. So I remember, I think it was a couple of days after we got home and my head was sort of a little bit clearer. I remember I used to listen to Giovanna Fletcher's Happy Mum, Happy Baby podcast. And I remember remembering that there was one that I deliberately, and it sounds awful, but I'd avoided it because I was almost scared if I listened to it, it would happen to me. And um, so, but I remembered that there was one with Elle Wright. And um, so I went back and found it and I listened to it and I wish I'd listened to it sooner because I would have been so much more prepared. But it gave me, listening to her gave me such a sense of sort of relief that what I was feeling wasn't completely alien and it wasn't just me. 
and I went on to look at her Instagram as well and that kind of just cemented that yes this is normal and yes it is okay and I think over the next few months Elle's posts provided such sort of reassurance in a way that a things did get easier but b that it was okay to not be okay and um so I think I felt that it was almost my duty to Oliver to use him to do something positive so I thought I remember messaging um George's sister and saying oh should I do this I've got this crazy idea is it ever gonna work and she's like yeah absolutely go for it it'll be amazing so I decided to go for the plunge and do it and I think I just think it's so important that as much as you don't want to hear it when you're pregnant and you don't want to hear that it's a possibility and to some extent you don't need to hear the full ins and outs of it but I think it's really important that it's something that is on your radar because then at least it doesn't come as a complete shock and I think I think especially sort of if you put it in conjunction with the sort of kicks count campaign and things that will try and prevent it happening and the sleeping on your side and everything like that I think it just slowly introduces it without necessarily throwing it in a pregnant woman's face because you don't want to hear that when you're pregnant at all no of course you don't and it's not something that you should prepare for because it's something we want to avoid yeah but in the same same aspect I suppose it could be that there's you're going about your normal everyday work and someone comes back into the office that's been on with bereavement leave because we never know who we might come into contact with that's been affected so I think it's quite useful for people to know perhaps how to start a conversation because I don't know how you felt but I know lots of people find it a bit awkward sometimes to start a conversation with someone that's lost their baby and what you don't want people to do is avoid it because then you think you know what's happened why are you completely avoiding it so has there been any things that people have kind of said to you that have been particularly kind of I guess good conversation starters or or things that have been quite useful so I remember someone asked me my baby's name and how much he weighed I love that because yes I'm not a normal parent but I did have a baby he does have a name and he did weigh something when he was born and every other parent would be asked that question and it just made me feel like someone's not completely separated me from the world of being a mum someone has still asked me a normal mum question and it almost felt like just a giant hug yeah I love that and that's such a powerful thing that anyone can do is just say what was your baby called did you have a boy or a girl and and how much did they weigh because every mum's going to know the answer to those questions for sure for sure and that's so much better than a silence because like you said you want your baby to be recognized you've still given birth to this beautiful little life yeah Um, and you want you want their memory to kind of be withheld so that's an amazing tip so to anyone out there who who kind of is going to approach a conversation with someone that's perhaps lost a baby that's an amazing amazing little tip and when we spoke about social media so social media can be such a great thing and such a not so great thing and (laughs) and kind of like we spoke about when you have suffered an infant loss you tend to see pregnant people everywhere don't you like everyone seems to be pregnant and that's kind of the same on social media Um, and so I suppose it might be that you need to unfollow some account I mean you can't avoid pregnant people in the street but you can unfollow certain accounts accounts on social yeah. media that perhaps aren't quite right for where your head's at at the time and yeah. then like you said following people who 
who make you feel supported because there is such a wealth of support out there on infant loss isn't there yeah yeah I I had never come across any of it but it there is so much out there which I guess it's a shame it has to be out there but thank goodness it is yeah, most definitely. And recognising that it's okay that one day you might feel feel good and feel happy and that's okay. Yeah. And be yeah. going about normal things or Absolutely. going out for dinner, maybe not at the moment with COVID, <laughs> but, but generally uh, yeah. doing these things or meeting up with friends or, or going yeah. on holiday and that's okay. And then other days you'll feel like that awful, the whole world's caved in on you again. And that's a really normal roller coaster to go on, isn't it? Yeah, I think the whole being okay something with something is something that George really found because everyone said it's okay not to be okay. It's okay to really struggle. But we both sort of, in the weeks between when we found out Oliver was poorly and we lost him, we both had sort of minutes, hours and days where we had better days. And I remember saying to the bereavement midwife, like, I feel awful. I've had an okay day. Like I remember one day to distract ourselves, we went and brought Hoover, which sounds terribly boring. And it was, but it distracted us. And that was an okay day. And I remember her saying, no, that is completely normal. It's okay to be okay. And I think George has always sort of found that quite profound and found it something that people need to understand that as well as it's okay not to be okay, it is completely okay to be okay. Yeah, definitely. And to go about those normal everyday things. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And that's really powerful. So I think quite often when you start to do something and you feel positive emotions again, you almost feel guilt. Well, how can I be happy when my baby isn't here? And again, that's a normal path to go through. But recognizing that actually you are going to have to go on with life and Oliver's always going to be a memory and he's always going to be your baby and you're always going to be his mum. But you are gonna have to go and buy a Hoover. <laughs> you know, yeah, that Hoover was needed. <laughs> it was needed. So and and the distraction's great. As much as we need to deal with the things that are going on in our heads, that day-to-day kind of going for a walk or keeping yourself busy or Definitely. or doing something different is is a useful way of coping, isn't it? Definitely. I think that's something I found. I think some days you definitely do need to wallow in your self-pity. You need to put a duvet on and you need to watch rubbish TV. But I also think there is massively a place for distraction. And I don't think it's necessarily just avoiding what you don't want to think about. I genuinely think it does help you to not come to terms with it, because I guess you never will. But to learn how to cope with feeling it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I suppose in terms of um, the support network that you had, so you mentioned when you first got home and you told your loved ones about the news of Oliver and everyone rallied round and sent you cards and flowers. And that's, I guess, really helpful in terms of helping you feel like you've got this amazing army behind you and you're not going yeah. through this on your own. But did that kind of dwindle as time went on and how did you kind of find that? Um, I think we've been really lucky in that with our closest friends and our closest family, it hasn't dwindled. They've all sort of continued to rally around us, especially with the postnatal depression diagnosis. Like George's work, again, have been totally amazing and have said he can work from home. Because I think I very much feel like I just fall apart when George isn't here and I can't deal with my emotions, like the upset on my own. So even just to have him working upstairs... And knowing he's there is such a support. And I don't think his work will ever know how much that means to me. Um, But no, we've been really lucky with our friends. I think I had one friend who 
I was very, very close to. Um, and since the day we told her Oliver was born, I haven't heard from her. And I think I find that really hard um, because I think of what we had as a friendship. But then I, I understand that it's a conversation that no one wants to have. So I try not to dwell on it, but she is missed. But I guess you can't make everyone talk to you after something like this has happened. Yeah, sure. But that's that's really hard, isn't it? And I guess that's where this stigma and fighting this stigma will hopefully mm. help to stop that breakdown in friendships because yeah it's when you need people the most and you don't necessarily want people to be distant from you no which is hard and we you mentioned um during your story about the memory box that you started to create at the hospital so you that's for, for people who aren't familiar with um memory boxes they are a box like it says I guess but but very pretty and done up with ribbon and then inside it's kind of like making as many memories as you possibly can in a really short period of time because all these memories that you planned the places that you're going to take your baby the pictures you were going to take have been taken away from you so you've got this really concentrated short period of time to make as many memories as possible to help you really treasure your baby so things like the the hand and footprints that you spoke about um, and casts and photographs um, and was there like candles and trinkets yeah. and things like that yeah. in there as well? Yeah, I think we were just, I remember it was the night, I think it was like the fourth night that I spoke about something like that. I was, I just had enough. I just wanted to meet him and I just felt so desperate. And I remember the midwife just came in with, she came in with the box from Lily May and she came in with an aching arms bear. Um, and it, it just felt like a hug from people that understood and it, I, I know they're items and they're not feelings, but it was such a warm feeling inside to be given them. And it's those those memories that you make with them now. They are just so, so precious, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. They're the only memories we'll have with him, but they are the most special memories. Absolutely. And do you mind talking a little bit more about some of the items that you've got in your box, Josephine, and whether you've kind of added to that and, and perhaps where you keep it in kind of a treasured place? Yeah, so um, at the moment it's in our bedroom. Um, we did have it in the nursery, um, but when we found out we were expecting our rainbow baby, we decided maybe it was it was time to keep him a little bit closer to us. Um, but still keep him a massive part of the family because he always will be. But his memories can't stay in a child's room because they are upsetting, unfortunately. And we both really hope that that nursery will be someone else's nursery one day. Um, so, yeah, at the moment it's kept in our room. I don't know if that's where it always will be. Brilliant. And and what's amazing is that you'll be able to use that to explain to mm. his future brothers or sisters about about their brother Oliver and um, yeah. their elder brother and, and what he went through in his yeah. short life that he, he had yeah. with you and and what he was like and the memories you made and how brave that you guys have been a as a result. And I've no doubt that they'll be full of immense pr pride oh, when, <laughs> when you eventually have those conversations because, you know, they will come. They will come. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah, and have you kind of, have you added to the box at all from when you got from back from hospital or do you kind of plan to add any, any bits to it? Is there things that you sometimes see that kind of just remind you of him? Mm. So, um. 
between when we found out he was poorly and when we lost him, um, we brought an elephant because elephants never forget. Um, and it's a soft elephant and it's got his name on his ear. So that we've got that in our living room as sort of part of, we haven't got much up because we don't want to sort of upset people that come round. Obviously there's children that come round and you don't want to make anyone feel awkward. So we've got his hand and footprints and his elephant up in our living room and they sit together. So we've added the elephant. Um, what else have we added? We've added um, the blanket that he was wrapped in. Um, we were given, it was by another charity and I feel awful because I can't remember the name and I've lost the piece of paper. But we were given, um, it was like a blanket that was in two halves and it was tied together. And the baby has one half and then you keep the other half. So we've got that um, and we've got, we brought him a pack of three sort of premature baby grows for him to wear. So we've got the other two that he didn't keep with him um, in his memory box as well. Amazing. And they really are, to the charities that, that give us these memory boxes, are just worth their weight in gold because they, oh, incredible. they do provide you that, that incredible um, experience, I suppose, mm. lifelong what I yeah. find really interesting, Josephine, is how you mentioned there that you're worried about having things in your house um, in case people feel awkward. And I find that's really interesting because I can totally appreciate how, mm. how you feel. Um, but I think that's where this stigma and this taboo is. It really yeah. needs changing because there's no way that if you had Oliver at home with you that you would feel awkward about having things around the house. No. But because he isn't at no. home with you, you feel yeah. that emotion. And, and that really highlights, I think, how we just need to we just need to get the message out there don't we and and get your voices out there and get rid of this kind yeah. of taboo and stigma and make people yeah. more aware yeah and I think that's something I've like if you don't mind me going back to it something I've felt with the postnatal depression as well I think I mean in itself it feels like a kick in the teeth that it's called that because I haven't got my baby and when you google it everything online and all the help is centered around like having people look after your baby and having a break and things like that but I think especially around the people that George told at work and the couple of friends I've told for support I was really concerned what people would think about me and I'm very much an advocate for speaking out and like being honest and I want to be there to help people but I found it really strange that I still found that I was worried what people would think of me and it was completely unfounded like so far no one has thought I've gone mad or anything like that but the worry was still there. Yeah, definitely. And I think you are only human and you've been through such a tragic time. And mm. it's kind of been, there's, there's been lots of, lots of issues, hasn't there? Because you had that initial scan, then another scan, and then obviously the passing away of Oliver and then a subsequent miscarriage that you spoke about. So all of those factors compounded together are too yeah. much for anybody, aren't they? That's, yeah. just, that's just massive. And that's a massive life turmoil. So the, the the depressive symptoms are are going to come as a form a form of grief and things. And working through that, like you said, it's really interesting that so much of the information available is for those with a baby. And I can imagine you're probably thinking, well, if I had my baby, then I probably wouldn't have these depressive symptoms. Yeah. yeah. And I remember George Googling, um, like, how can I help my partner postpartum depression after stillbirth? And even putting stillbirth into Google, nothing came up. I think there was the Tommy's website, which was great about sort of finding your diagnosis and speaking to your GP. But beyond that, there was nothing. There weren't any practical tips. And I know it's something he's really struggled with because 
obviously what I like to think he cares about me but um he's watching the person he cares about going through something and there's literally nowhere to tell him what to do there's no manual there's nothing and I think and with 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 partners or 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 men they want to fix it you know so he wants to be able to fix you and and unfortunately with the experiences you've been through and your diagnosis there isn't a quick fix you know and um but the fact that there's no kind of tips and tricks and things that he can help with just alludes to the fact that there's just not enough awareness out there for the supports to be put in place well, I didn't even realise you could get postpartum depression after a stillbirth. I assumed it was something that you had to have your baby for. Yeah, when, which is really interesting. Because actually, when you think of... There's obviously massive challenges caring for a newborn, but mm. that there's obviously humongous challenges with the experience mm. you've been through. So it, it makes more sense that you'd be more likely mm. to have these kind of depressive symptoms or, or mental mm. health problems or birth trauma and kind of all of those terms even kind of the post-traumatic um stress spectrum you know there's such a spectrum of mental health that could be triggered by the sort of experiences Mm. that you've had but but yeah like you say you kind of associate it so heavily with um a mum and a baby so Mm. so it's really interesting and again it was just that raising awareness and that's why the voices of bereaved parents are just so so powerful but it's mm-hmm. a really brave and and challenging thing to speak up about so your kind of social media and your beautifully written blog um, oh, is just amazing so to anyone who who hasn't seen Josephine's um Instagram account and I think the link to your blog's on there isn't it yeah 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 can you just remind me of the name because it's little footprints isn't it for your yeah so Instagram. it's precious little footprints with an underscore between the words so it is linked in the description of this um of this podcast so you can go and check it out and please do go and read the blog because it's just so brave and so courageous and we need to get the message out there sort of as much as possible as much as possible Mm -hmm. for sure so that parents can have that support and not feel kind of marginalized I suppose by the support that's existing yeah because I think I think you do just feel so alone when you come home from hospital without your baby I remember so we've got a very close family friend who and they tragically lost their baby a couple of years ago and that was other than my friend who was a midwife and obviously the obvious support that was the only person I could think of that would possibly understand how it felt. And I sort of thought, well, how in a world where one in four pregnancies end in, in baby loss, is there only one person that I can think of? That's really, and I wonder why, um, I don't know if you can shed any light, but why we are so sort of scared or, or concerned about speaking about pregnancy loss mm-hmm. issues. I don't know whether it's maybe a stigma that you've done something wrong, which is absolutely never the case, but I wonder whether that's, that's a reason. Have you kind of spoke to anyone else who's had any other kind of reasons why we're not happy to talk about it? I guess fear of judgment and... Yeah, I think, I think something both myself and George found actually was, in a way, we didn't want to make other people feel awkward about having the conversation, um, and we didn't really want to put people in a situation where they had to consider not bringing your baby home but I think sort of as time's gone on I kind of regret not opening up a little bit more at the beginning maybe um because he he was our baby and obviously we didn't announce him in the traditional sense on Facebook that 
he'd been born and was crying away or whatever but sort of a few months after we lost him I think it was Mother's Day we did actually put a post up um, and we put a picture of his elephant and we put a picture of his footprint on it and we just said that he'd been born sleeping and that today seemed a good day to say it and the amount of people that came forward and the amount of people that just offered all manner of support and the amount of people that you don't realize have been through anything like that and it kind of makes you think there's this and I think to some extent quite right secrecy around the 12 week thing and that you then don't have to tell as many people and obviously telling people is very hard but to some extent maybe if there wasn't that secrecy maybe we would be more open as a society and we would know we would know who we can go to who's tragically been through it for support yeah definitely it's interesting that you say once you started speaking about it Mm. so many other people started speaking and that's I suppose the whole purpose of what you've been doing um, online and with your blogs isn't it is to spark that conversation so that other people go oh my goodness yes that happened to me and then you've suddenly got this army of support around you that come from perhaps the most unlikely places but together you are you are able to really support each other in a way that people that haven't gone through that loss can't can't appreciate in the same way I suppose yeah Yeah, I think the problem is I, I know it's a horrible read and I know it's a horrible thing to have to consider if you haven't lost a baby but I just feel like unfortunately the statistics are that someone around you will have done whether you know it or not it could be the person you sit next to in the office and it could have happened 20 years ago but someone around you will have suffered it and I think it's little things like I kind of and I understand why but there's kind of a resistance to share things amongst people who haven't lost a baby on social media about baby loss because for whatever reason they're not comfortable doing it and I feel like that's possibly part of the thing that needs breaking down because you've no idea who's looking at what you share on social media and you could have a friend that you've no idea has been through it he sees you share something and that could just be the light at the end of their tunnel on a really desperate day definitely and I think there's definitely strength in speaking to people that have gone through the same thing as you and I know that mm. Sands one of the um, amazing charities that works around their stillbirth, stillbirth and neonatal death society mm. so they work around all kind of pregnancy and child loss and part of their support package is actually speaking to somebody who has yep. gone through um, the loss themselves isn't it because we yeah. recognize that that having that in common is just such an immense mm. immense kind of support and reassurance to you especially when you meet with someone who is perhaps longer down the grief journey yeah and you can kind of think well actually they've they've managed to go back to work and they can mm. go around Tesco without looking at every child and bursting into tears yeah. so actually I'll get there yeah. and that can be a real a real support and, and momentum definitely I know um so my bereavement support worker who is um provided by a charity in the Midlands called the Lily May Foundation Amy she's tragically lost her baby with her partner and that's when they set up the charity and actually it's been so helpful to to hear someone say yeah that happened to me yeah I was the one sat on the floor in like floods of tears unable to see a way out but look where I am today and it does get easier and somehow it just feels more believable because they've been there 
Yeah, absolutely. And knowing that what you're going through is normal and it's all right and it's not going to be like that forever. You know, you're not abnormal because you've got these emotions. You've been through one of the most tragic things that anyone could ever possibly imagine. And Mm. the emotions that you're feeling as a result are completely normal. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. And there is lots of other women out there feeling the same. We just need to we just need to get your voices out there so that they they know that and they can reach for support definitely need to get the conversation started yeah definitely definitely and I'm so grateful for you for so bravely doing that so everyone that comes on my podcast and I'm afraid you haven't escaped it Josephine (laughs) (laughs) I always ask for three top tips so I wonder if you could share three top tips to bereaved parents that are going through their own infant loss journey, kind of regardless of where that is, I suppose, in a time scale, because it could be sort of the first days or weeks, or it could be 25 years later, but yeah. kind of, kind of what are your top tips to them, I suppose? So I thought about this quite hard when you told me I needed to, <laughs> there's so many things that I could have said. So I tried to pick out the three that sort of really got us through. So the first one is put yourself first. Um, after our recent miscarriage, we got a card, which I actually posted on my page, um, which on the front said, take care of you, everything else can wait. And I think it's so true. I think you, if you don't look after yourself, then you'll never get through this awful time. And I think taking care of yourself can be anything from having a duvet day if you need one watching box sets to healthy eating and exercise and doing things you enjoy and I think it's important to say that to say that if you don't want to accept a social invitation then look after yourself and say no if it's not right for you to go and sit with your group of friends who have all got babies you don't need to you don't need to go to the baby shower you don't need to do any of these things expected of you by society and I think if you put yourself first slowly you begin to get there I love that that's so so important because it's that that being kind and looking after what you need and Mm. every day's different so like you said one day it might be just cuddling up in your most comforting blanket and the other day it might be going for a a massive walk and getting loads of fresh air on on your skin and that's all right to do those things yeah um so my second one I've put is reaching out and asking for help and whether it's asking someone to cook you a dinner in the early days because it's too much after all everyone brings you food when you have a baby normally um or whether it's reaching out to sort of the GP or someone higher than that if you're struggling with your mental health or asking to see friends if you just need a shoulder to cry on or equally if you just need to have a laugh away from the world of baby loss yeah definitely and I think sometimes people offer help and we kind of go oh no no it's fine but actually going yeah "Yeah, do you know what that'd be great that would be really good yeah, actually, yeah, I'll take that dinner that you've offered me. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose for people that are listening who are supporting someone that's gone through infant mm-hmm. loss is to maybe not even wait for that ask for help. Yeah. So drop a lasagna on the doorstep and, not, and just say, I'm here, I'm thinking of you. Or send that text, even if you don't get a reply, because for yeah. mums, just knowing that people are thinking of them is really powerful. Definitely. Because I know so many people offered us food, but I think we kind of felt, oh no, like, we have to do this ourselves but I think if someone had dropped a lasagna around we would have been so grateful and so sort of oh my goodness thank you it's one thing we don't have to think about tonight and I think I've had lots of 
those text messages of are you okay just thinking of you you don't need to reply just want to check in and it's like a hug from the person when you receive it and it does put a smile on your face yeah brilliant definitely um so the third one I've got is I kind of said it um in the first one you sort of touched on it but take each day as it comes some days will be blooming difficult and feel totally impossible however at the same time there will be better days minutes hours whatever and I think it's really important as I said to remember that it while it's okay to not be okay it is okay to be okay and I think I didn't realize this until I said it to the bereavement midwife I'm worried that I'm okay and she said no like you're allowed to be okay you are still you you have to have things that you still like so I think it's really important to grab those times with both hands and really enjoy them because unfortunately realistically they're not going to last that long especially at the beginning and you just need to enjoy what you can because otherwise you will totally lose yourself yeah that's that's really powerful and I know that they're they are from my experience working with bereaved parents that they are such massively common themes either feeling like this is so overwhelming and I'm never going to get through it or that thing of but I laughed today like how's that all right so that's really powerful I laughed and I remember saying that's awful we've just lost Oliver how can I laugh and George was like well no you're human you will find things funny you can't not laugh for the rest of your life (laughs) Yeah, that's so, so true. And little little Oliver wouldn't be wanting you to not laugh and, no. and, have, and enjoy yeah. these happy moments of life. So Yeah, definitely. Josephine, I'm really, really grateful that you have come on and so, so bravely shared your story with, with yourself, George and Oliver, because I know that it has been a massively challenging and tragic journey but I am so thrilled that you are using your voice and your experience and Oliver's memory to really kind of raise awareness and provide massive support to other parents going through the same thing so I honestly can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to tell our story. No it's amazing and it is an amazing story and you are such such brave and a courageous team and I know that you will have lots of laughs in your future for sure yeah definitely brilliant thank you thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I really hope that you enjoyed it if you found it helpful then please hit subscribe and leave a review it really does make a huge difference to the number of women we can reach out to and empower for daily free information inspiration or details on our bespoke antenatal education head over to my instagram page at midwife underscore pip thank you and see you next time hi my name is Kay adams and to be honest i'm not so good with the aging process so i enlisted my old chum the filter-free cara mckenzie to advise could you imagine being a porn star the room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off to be honest she's not much help but she is rather amusing and along with some great guests joe brand andy oliver anton dubeck ruth langsford and craig revel horwood darling we are learning how to be 60. listen wherever you get your podcasts